Welcome to the Men and Hoodies Podcast, where we take you on an excursion through everything in the sports world. Trending news, hot conversations, heated debates, and unlike shows such as First Take and Undisputed, things that you, the listeners, actually want to hear. Let's now go to your hosts, the man that the water shows, Brent Lyons, the OG, Roman Cleary, hey, that's me, and of course, the always jubilant, Jake Stoop. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Men in Hoodies podcast. It is such a relief to be back on the pod today. It's been a minute, Roman. Just kind of give us an update on where you've been and how excited you are for this episode. Yes, guys. He just said, Roman, there's no Brent here today. He's been fired, just like he was last summer. <laughs> there you go. No, just kidding. Um, he, he's not here. Hopefully, he will be sooner than he was at this time last year because we do not want another three or four-week absence, but... Yeah, it's obviously been a while since we've recorded and put out an episode, but what matters now is that we're here, we're back. Uh, I'm live from Destin, Florida, leaving tomorrow morning. Jake's holding it down back in Memphis, and Brent is currently, I think, asleep in Disney World. So <laughs> we're all over the place right now, and obviously, as you can see by the title probably and the length of this episode, we suspect that this is going to end up being a longer one. We do have a lot of things to discuss and catch up on, so... Uh, we don't do this usually, but I do want to remind you all that there are the timestamps down in the description as it is for every single episode. So if you do want to skip to a specific part of today's show, you can go ahead and do that if that is your prerogative. But yeah, let's just uh, jump straight into it. We got NBA offseason talk, then more news from the transfer portal, especially from your local University of Memphis Tigers. And we're starting everyone's favorite series of the Minnesota's podcast that is of course the NFL <laughs> division breakdowns and we're starting with uh, the division that we did last and uh, last year and that is of course the AFC West which features the Denver Broncos Los Angeles Chargers Las Vegas Raiders and the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs so yeah a lot to get into a lot to get into today uh, let's do it yeah it's gonna be a blast let's go ahead and start Right off the bat, we've got NBA free agency and offseason talk. It has been wild since the end of the championship. The Denver Nuggets took it off. And then we had the NBA draft and then free agency open, which meant a lot of money going out to a lot of players. Let's go ahead and get into it. Roman, I would love to start with a guy who, man, played his entire career in Memphis up to this point. Let's talk about Dylan Brooks getting four years, $80 million, going to the Houston Rockets. A lot of people are saying that, this is the worst contract in the NBA right now. A lot of people are saying he's still got that dog in him, 15-point-per-game average score of his entire career. So, Roman, what are your initial thoughts on, man, Dylan Brooks being in Houston with Fred VanVleet and the squad? Well, firstly, I'm fine with Dylan getting about $80 million. Uh, Just because he wasn't worth that to the Grizzlies doesn't mean he's not worth that to uh, another NBA team. And the Rockets felt like he was worth that. I mean, people forget that when Dylan Brooks is – staying within his lane and playing uh, his game the way he's supposed to. Dylan Brooks can be a perfectly fine NBA player, and even a good one at that. And he's obviously a fantastic defender. I think he was like all NBA second defensive team. Yep, Yep, he was. Like year before last. So to just flat out say, oh, Dylan's not worth four years, 80 million. I think that's a little bit uh, of a stretch. Obviously, he didn't play up to that. A number this year 
but I think he has in years past, especially uh, a couple of years ago in the 2021 NBA playoffs, I want to say, uh, when it was the Grizzlies as the eighth seed facing the Utah Jazz, Dylan Brooks dropping 40-something points in game one, leading Memphis to a victory in that game. I think it just shows the type of potential Dylan still has. I think, uh, you know, just a new fresh start for him in general is good in Houston, a team that's up on the rise right now. They had probably the best draft of anybody uh, signed Fred Van Vliet, as you just said, over from the Raptors. I mean, Houston's still got a long way to go. They're a rebuilding team, but they're definitely getting better in this offseason. And I think Dylan Brooks is certainly part of uh, that positive movement. I was a little shocked at how much money exactly was being given out over this offseason. So I think we can both agree that this was a relatively weak free agency class. Not oh, yeah, a sure. ton of big superstars. Like Fred Van Vliet getting that much money is just – I think that attests to the fact that it's just not that good of a class. But when you look at Dylan Brooks getting four years, $80 million, you can look at, man, his on-court talent. Yes, he's got the defense. He's got the dog. But I've been known to stand up for this guy year in and year out. I remember three or four years ago when we were talking initially about, does Dylan Brooks need to be here? He's got some attitude issues. His shooting percentages are really whack when he decides to try to be that floor general kind of guy. And those problems still exist, which shows me that he has not developed into a guy that can play within his role. Maybe he's got a larger role in Houston, and that's going to help him. But $20 million a year for a guy who was expected to get around the $12, $13 million peer range, I just think that was a reach for Houston. I think they could have signed him for a lot less than that. But just look at looking at these postseason shooting splits for Dylan Brooks this year, 31% from the field and 24% from three. Just that's not going to cut it. I know Houston is not a playoff team, which wouldn't have shocked me if they would have signed him for maybe two years, 35, two years, 40. But no, they went out and said, we want to have this guy for four years, four years. And we're going to pay him 20 million a year at that, even though we've got all these young guys that need to get paid. I was just a little bit shocked that Houston would do that. And not only that, but give that much money to Fred Van Vliet at the same time. So we can we can just move on to Fred Van Vliet a little bit. Are you shocked at this move at all to give him that much money either? I mean, I find it a little weird that uh, they even signed Fred Van Vliet in general, especially yeah. after they got Kevin Thompson in the draft. I mean, you'd really think that he'd really step in and as a rookie and play point guard for him. But I guess they wanted a more veteran option. And Fred Van Vliet is certainly that. He was an all-star, I think, year before last or maybe two years ago. But – I just think it's a very weird move in general. When I saw it pop across my timeline, I'm like, really? Yeah. He's going to the Rockets? Yeah. I thought Houston was supposed to be this young rebuilding team that was just building around their core of drafted players and maybe a few, like, older guys that are a bit overlooked or whatever and uh, just kind of setting a new culture for themselves and not really bringing in two other, too many other big stars. But this directly defies that logic. Again, I think Houston is making some good moves this offseason, especially in the draft. Uh, they got Thompson, and they got a, the guy from Villanova who had some uh, injury concerns, which is why he fell. He was like number Whitmore. four. Yeah, uh, yeah, Whitmore on Billis's board. But he fell to 20 because, again, the injury concerns. And I thought that was a pretty big steal for Houston and what was a relatively weak draft class as well. And, uh, yeah, I find the Van Vliet signing to be very weird. Yeah, same here. I, I just I don't understand it. This team was tied for last in the West this year, 
like only 22 wins and now they sign that guy for that much money and Fred Van Vliet is great like don't like don't get me wrong Fred Van Vliet is great no I, since, I think he's worthy so, of that contract even I mean I don't I think he's worth it I don't think he's worth 43 million dollars a year I, I just don't understand that 43 I mean, with, million with the dollars the in, with I, th- I think he's worth it with the way that NBA salaries are drastic, drastically increasing every single year. If Desmond Bain's getting two hundred seven million, then Van Vliet's probably worth like one twenty three. Well, the that's the thing is, you I like to look at it by year. But let's see, let's go back to Desmond Bain. I'm pretty sure Desmond Bain was a five year two hundred seven, which if you do the math, that's about forty one. So we're looking at a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who that's only I two think, million more though. That's only like two million more, though. Right. I don't. I don't think Desmond Bain, in at the end of his contract, is going to be even close to Fred VanVleet. I think he's light years ahead of him. Fred VanVleet showed out in those finals in 2019, and then ever since he's taken the lead, he's been good. Like he's no, no, been I a good I... player, but he's not like he's not like oh gosh, let's go get this guy and give him a bag. Like, I just I don't understand the reach for this guy at this point, especially for a team like Houston. I mean, it's a relatively short deal, only three years, so you're not locked up in it forever. And besides, Fred Fred Vliet is also somebody who is viewed as a valuable piece around the entire NBA. So if it really doesn't work out, I bet you'd be willing to find a trade partner there. Yeah. I'm all for going to get your guy, though, so I can get it. If, If you can get your guy, give him as much money as you can. I just, you know, like you said, it doesn't really make much sense when you've got, you know, Jalen Green to pay for sure coming up. Yeah, you know, what I meant to say, you so, know, find a willing trade partner. That's what I meant to say a second ago. Right. I was also really um, just happy that the Lakers could come back and get so many guys. I mean, I mean they, they got Reeves back, losing, Hachimura back. Right. They were talking about losing all those guys because they couldn't pay them. But instead, they give three years, $51 million to Rui Hachimura. They bring back Austin Reeves. They lost out on Lonnie Walker, but he wasn't really that key of a piece. Russell's back for, I think, run. two more years as well. Who? Russell's back as well. Right, yes. D'Angelo Russell is back. So, I've been one to be really high on the Lakers team. I remember um, when they made all those moves at the trade deadline, I was like, okay, this is a, like, like they look like they can make the play in. And I, I think a lot of people were doubting that. But instead, they showed that they can have one of the best records in the NBA during that stretch. And I'm really high on this team, especially if they can bring back all their guys, which they've shown that they can bring back the key contributors. I just think that's really cool that they they brought back that mold that works so well. So I'm really excited for this Lakers team coming up this year. I think they've got a bright future, especially bringing back all those guys and showing that they're going to put trust in them to work with LeBron and AD. Yeah, I mean – if you give LeBron a good supporting cast, he's going to win. And he proved that despite the fact that the Lakers were a seven seed in a very loaded Western Conference. I think if that yep. team is together for an entire NBA campaign, that team ends up as like a two or a three seed. And now that you have virtually that entire starting lineup back, right? I mean, it's Russell, Reeves, LeBron. I guess Hachimura is going to slide in there at the four as of now and Davis at the five. I, I guess like that's that. how it would work. Yeah. So you get that entire core back that just made the Western Conference Finals, despite, again, being a seven seed in the Western Conference. Uh, I think that team is uh, going to be a, a much better team in the regular season and subsequently have a better chance to make it through the NBA playoffs next year. Oh, yeah, 
And moving on to but it's also interesting. Go ahead. Oh wait, it's it, it, but it's also interesting because this could be the Lakers' last chance with this current core because yeah. of course there is the question of where is LeBron going to go after next year? Is he going to join Bronny wherever he ends up? Is he going to resign with the Lakers? Is he just going to go somewhere else without the Lakers or Bronny? Is he going to retire? This is still a really crucial year for the Lakers to win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think LeBron sent that message when he said he might retire after that last game. Everybody knows he wasn't saying, I'm going to retire. But basically, in essence, he was saying, put guys around me that I can win with. And if you don't, I'm not going to promise you my future here. Like, you, you don't deserve LeBron if you can't surround him with people that can win. It can't just be LeBron and AD. Um, but another guy I think we can talk about who, as a Grizzlies fan, this is a guy that I really wanted the Grizzlies to pay. I wanted us to get a role player who can do what he can. He can score the ball. He can shoot the ball. He can play defense. He's basically a Swiss Army knife. And that's Bruce Brown, a guy who I was really high on in that playoff run. I think a lot of people were really surprised by him and how much he elevated his game when they needed it. When Jamal Murray wasn't having the best stretch in a quarter, Bruce Brown was the guy to step up. When Jokic wasn't getting to the line like he needed to, Bruce Brown was willing to get to the rim and, and create shots around the perimeter when they weren't getting them because they weren't able to attack the lane. Bruce Brown was that guy. He got two years, $45 million contract with the Indiana Pacers. Initial reactions, Roman, on this signing? Um, I mean, good move for the Pacers there. I'm not completely sure Bruce Brown is totally worth that contract because, again, at the end of the day, he is a role player. Not exactly – Typically, you know, role players aren't typically worth a, a bunch of money, but Bruce Brown certainly proved himself in the NBA Finals. And when you're coming off of a of a title win with a really good Denver Nuggets team, you're going to have the opportunity to get more money than what you would usually get. So I feel very good for Bruce Brown. He'll be a good player in Indiana. Um, he'll have to take that next step if he truly wants to be worth that deal. But he, he showed that he can do that when he stepped up again, like you said, for guys like Jamal Murray. And – you say you wanted the Grizzlies to pay him again. Um, Memphis needs, I think, a, a more versatile star-level player at that three spot. And Bruce Brown isn't that. And because of that, you really shouldn't be paying him that kind of contract. I think Memphis is waiting for more of a higher upside guy at small forward position. In the meantime, they'll just kind of fill in with some makeshift lineups or whatever. I think Marcus right. Smart is going to help a lot, mm-hmm. help out a lot with that. Maybe Zaire Williams takes a step up, and maybe he does become that guy. He was a lottery pick after all. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I feel really good for Bruce Brown overall with that deal. Same here. And, I mean, the reason he got it was because everybody got to watch him play so well in the finals pretty much. Like, he was the guy down, down the stretch. Um, but we also – we didn't get to talk about the Marcus Smart deal, bringing him in. We We kind of texted a little bit about it, I'm pretty sure. We yeah. got to talk about it. I'm personally super oh, love high it, on it. Yeah, super it. high. On it. I love it. We basically got a better Dylan Brooks at every single aspect you can think about, and we now have two former Defensive Player of the Years on the exact same team. I I just love it all all around. Yeah, I'm I'm loving what Memphis is doing. Unfortunately, uh, they couldn't get OG Ananobi, which I'm sure was Plan A, but I think Marcus Smart is a really really solid Plan B there. Um, he's somebody that isn't necessarily big enough to play the three himself, but he's good enough to guard it, and he's good enough to kind of 
maybe be a small forward in a makeshift smaller lineup even at times. But I guess for now, he is still a guard. Maybe Bain can slide in at the three once John Morant returns and you have no. Smart. At Bain the... can't be a three, which well, that's the only thing that kind of scares me. I mean, he is a wing, wingspan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, his I mean, wingspan isn't enough to play defense on wings, though. That's the tough. That's the tough part. Well, Marcus Smart could still guard the wings on defense. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Smart's fine. I don't. I just don't think Smart. Bain can slide Smart. Over. Smart. I don't. They can just like switch on defense though. It doesn't has, that doesn't have to necessarily mean Bain is guarding a small forward. Yeah, that can be you know Marcus Smart's responsibility, and it makes even more sense getting Smart now that Memphis has Derrick Rose, who is more of that mm-hmm. a true backup point guard there. So now Marcus Smart can just easily slide into the two uh, with little worry. Now that you have another backup point guard option in Derrick Rose, of course, the bigger story with Rose coming back and coming to coming to the Grizzlies is. You know, he's making his way back to Memphis after what he did for the University of Memphis Tigers all those years ago. Will Rose finally mentioned Tigers? Will he be brought back to the program? Who knows? That's the bigger story with Rose coming to the Grizzlies. But in terms of his actual meaning to this Grizzlies team, I think it means a lot. I think it's pretty clear that Memphis had to get older after what happened in the playoffs this year and, quite frankly, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe a guy like Derrick Rose can help improve the culture that Taylor Jenkins has fa- failed to build so far. And, yeah, um, I feel really good about that, too. Yeah, 100%. I, I completely agree. I love what the Grizzlies are doing right now. I think they've definitely taken a step up in free agency. And I, I like that they're surrounding Ja with some older pieces that can talk some sense into him. I know that Marcus Smart has had his own issues with talking before and, locker room issues but I think we can all agree that Marcus Smart is a locker room leader and I know Derek Rose has had a big emphasis on changing up his mindset and making sure that his mental health is in the right place I don't know if there's a better guy you can bring in than Derek Rose who also has had a lot of humility the last few years and kind of owning that backup point guard position especially in the playoffs this past year I think it definitely probably hurt him a little bit in his pride to be sitting on the bench in a crucial playoff run where you needed somebody like that. You needed a veteran to come in, but he just wasn't that guy. He wasn't picked to do that. Um, let, let's move on to the guy like Dan. This guy's had a lot of controversy around him. I know that a lot of the Trailblazers fans are, are really sad. I saw a video of a guy like in the drive through in Portland, and he's just having a conversation with the guy over the radio, just like complaining about, Damian Lillard, how he might not be able to be a Blazers fan anymore. Like, this guy was the face of your franchise for so many years. And to see him finally request a trade, which I can all, I think we can all agree is very well warranted at this point. It's just really sad for Blazers fan to see that, you know, he might be heading out soon. Blazers fans should not be upset at all that Lillard requested a trade. Not at all. Portland sucks. Portland sucks. Yep. And quite frankly, they're not trying to get better right now. They're in the middle of a rebuild. You think Damian Lillard has time to be a part of that nonsense right now? No. Nope. The dude is the dude is 32 years old and has very little time left in his prime. Very little time. And I don't think he wants to waste that away playing for a Portland Trailblazers team that would be lucky to make the NBA play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. No. Damian Lillard, after 11 long years of giving that franchise everything that he had, deserves an opportunity 
to compete for an NBA title and maybe even win one. And, of course, uh, the leading candidate to trade for him right now is the Miami Heat. We don't know if Portland's going to be playing ball on that request necessarily, but there are reports out there that Portland will accommodate Lillard in terms of his actual requesting of a trade. He will get traded somewhere. Portland's not going to be the stickler franchise that just holds him up for no reason. He will get traded somewhere. Like the Packers. Whether that will be to Miami, uh, like Lillard wants, that remains to be seen. Um, If he does end up in Miami, it'd be really – Really interesting to see him pair up with Jimmy Butler if he ends up in another spot. Uh, we'll talk about that when that comes. But, yeah, I feel really good that Damian Lillard is uh, assumingly going to finally get his chance at winning the big one there. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm stoked about it, that that he's finally out of there. I, I'd love to see him with some other guys besides C.J. McCollum, Ahert, Jeremy Grant, and Yusuf Nurkic. I think, I think we all want to see him on a better roster. Other moves worth mentioning, Kyrie Irving goes back to Dallas. Congratulations for them. Um, and other moves like that, we saw um, Kyle Kuzma get a bag as well, going back to the Wizards, getting over $25 million a year. Hey, how about Max Struess going to the Cavs? Absolutely. Four years, 63 mil. Absolutely. Man, he deserved that, in my opinion. Yeah, I suppose he did too, even though the number is a little high there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's see if the Cavs can finally put um, what looks good on paper. Look the piece, put the pieces roster. together. Right, yeah. for sure. And, and, of course, you know me. I got to mention Kyrie going back to the Mavs here a little bit. You know, if anyone has listened to this podcast ever really, you know, I'm not a big fan of the way that Kyrie Irving handles himself off the court. I think it's a bad look for whatever team he's playing on and ultimately a bad look for himself. And have no problem with his on-court talent. And if you're looking at that alone – He's worth probably even more than what the Dallas Mavericks paid him. But because of that off-court stuff and the fact that I don't think he's a, a locker room leader or a good representative of an, of an NBA franchise, and again, ultimately himself, uh, I question that move a little bit. But Dallas, they like him. They want to pair him up with Luka, even though I don't think that makes much sense personally because Luka has to be a primary ball handler to succeed, and Kyrie Irving has to be a primary ball handler to succeed. They can't both be primary ball handlers. It's not how basketball works. So, I that a little bit. But, yeah, Kyrie to Dallas, it is what it is. Yeah, man. We'll see ultimately how it pays off. But no matter if you question Dallas's antics or not and what they're exactly doing, I think it would have really sucked if they lost all those guys for nothing just for Kyrie not to come back. So, I think all of them are giving a – little sigh of relief that there won't be riots in the streets that Dallas just did all that for nothing. Um, Kyle Kuzma gets a bag, um, other guys like that. Just a lot of deals that, you know, guys I think got overpaid just for, for what they're worth because it is the, a little bit of a weaker free agency class. But they did bump um, contracts a little bit. They did bump salary cap. So you've got a little bit more money to spend there. Um, but let's move on to the college basketball world. Roman, you've been on top of this. Working for Tiger Blueprint, you've got those connections. You know exactly the ins and outs of what's going on. And I think you've been all in the know about exactly what's been going on with Memphis basketball and other things around the country. So just give us a little bit of your update and what you're allowed to say. Well, uh, first off, before we get to Memphis, because I predict that that's going to be a pretty extensive discussion, uh, the other big move that's been happening, uh, big news that's been happening really is – 
the whole situation over at West Virginia. For those of you that don't know, Bob Huggins was forced to resign because of his various controversies that he has gotten himself into over the offseason. Of course, back in May, uh, he directed homophobic slurs at Xavier fans on a Cincinnati radio program. And then last month in June, he got arrested in Pittsburgh for a DUI. So yeah, he resigned and I think he actually retired as well. So hats off to Bob Huggins for a fantastic career. If this is the end there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, many thought that it was going to create a mass exodus at West Virginia. Um, hasn't done that exactly. A few guys of course have entered the portal, but not nearly as many as originally thought. Uh, Kirk Creesa was one that did enter the portal. Uh, Memphis and Nebraska were heavily linked to him, Memphis being the favorite there. But after West Virginia hired Josh Ehlert to come in as an interim, he was uh, Huggins' like, assistant. Uh, I think he's also the, the Dobo. He was also the Dobo before that, which is the director of basketball operations. So a guy that was hugely involved in the WVU program, a guy that I assume a lot of players and transfers like. So Kreza decides to return to West Virginia He's the uh, transfer from Arizona, sharpshooter for uh, the Wildcats there. I know, Jake, you're a big fan of him, and you were pretty excited when uh, you found out that Memphis was getting involved with him. And Memphis would have gotten him probably had he not uh, gone back to West Virginia. But I think the Tigers have better things uh, on the horizon, as we'll discuss in a minute. But, yeah, back to West Virginia. Many thought that uh, players like Jesse Edwards and Raekwon Battle were candidates to enter the portal. But ultimately, they both decided to return as well. Edwards got a huge bag from West Virginia and NIL, and it's just super hard to pass that up regardless of who's the coach there. And Battle, again, kind of the same as Kreza. Um, really like the hiring of Elard there. And, of course, NIL plays a big discussion in this as well. I'm sure Kreza got a big increase in NIL, as did Battle. West Virginia's got that money, and they're able to keep guys and – reel them in as a result. One guy that did leave West Virginia, though, was actually someone that was there last year, Trey Mitchell, yep. forward, six like center or whatever you want to call him, averaged 12 points a game last year and like seven boards. He's off to Kentucky, and Kentucky's a team that re- really looked to be in limbo a few weeks ago. Um, people thought that, well, sure, they got this number one high school recruiting class, but not much else to show for it. But in recent uh, weeks and days, uh, they got – uh, of course, Mitchell to come in, which uh, makes the um, the experience there uh, a bit more prevalent at Kentucky. And, of course, they got Antonio Reeves to return, um, a guy that was heavily rumored to enter the portal for almost two months. And it really seemed like he was going to do it. He was actually taking summer classes at Illinois State, and many thought he was going to enter the portal as a graduate transfer once he – past the summer classes, but he ended up going back to Kentucky. So now Kentucky should trot a lineup with both Reeves and Mitchell in it with three other freshmen. So the experience deficit will not be nearly as much as originally thought for John Calipari's Wildcats. But yeah, West Virginia, they're really keeping things together. Uh, A lot more so than originally thought uh, was going to happen. So yeah, hats off to the Mountaineers, we'll see if they're able to put together an NCAA tournament team without the assistance of Bob Huggins. Um, Grant Nelson is someone that was 
Head or talk was talked about by a lot of people. One of the top guys in the portal while he was in it. Uh, it his commitment to Alabama was broken a few weeks ago. Uh, there were some academic stuff that needed to be worked out on that end. That is why his announcement to Bama was delayed. But that was never really in question. Grant Nelson was always going to end up at Alabama. There were rumors that Bama was going to get involved with Jordan Brown, which were never true at all. Grant Nelson was always their guy there, no matter what happens. Uh, And, yeah, Nelson ends up at Bama. They'll be very good next year. Alabama also, uh, more news of them, they lost Javon Quinterly, who was a a real, real crucial part of their team for – four years pretty much like three or four years he played there for three seasons and would have been a big member of the crimson tide for his fourth year there which is of course his final year of eligibility he would have probably come off the bench like he did last year because of just all the backcourt talent that bama has but he still would have been a crucial guy that's been in the program for a while knows what nato wants to do there so yeah it's still a loss for bama with quinterly but i think the fact that they got grant nelson is much as uh, a really, really good consolation prize on that end. Bama has their big, I suppose, with Nelson. Speaking of bigs, we're finally going to start uh, getting to Memphis here, which is, of course, the conversation that I think most of you are waiting for here with the portal. University of Memphis Tigers. Uh, a lot of talk about them this offseason that this is not exactly what a Memphis basketball roster looks like. And, oh, gosh, are the Tigers in trouble? Are they even an NCAA tournament team? Are they even going to finish top two in the American, a weaker American at that? Are they just going to get cruised over by Florida Atlantic? Uh, no, no, they're not. That's not going to happen. I can assure you uh, that Memphis yeah. is going to be a very loaded team this coming winter. They're going to be very good. There's still some things that need to happen on their end. Uh, talking about some things that have happened, of course, we have Jordan Brown, the transfer big from Louisiana, six foot eleven guy, averaged nineteen points in eight boards a game last year. Jake, you know how many times you know how many times I have seen Memphis fans up in the comments, replies, the tweets or whatever saying, Well, this is nice, but where's the big man? Where's the big man? Where's the big man? Yeah, he, there he is. Here. There he is, Jordan Brown. About time. One of the best one of the best bigs in the entire country. It was a five-star prospect in the class of 2018 uh, winner award last year, which was given, which is given, I should say, to the best mid-major player in college basketball every single Boom. year. Uh, best player in the Sun Belt overall, first team all-conference there in that league. Louisiana won the league, and they challenged Tennessee in the round of 64 of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Brown also had like a 20-point game against Texas last year. Um, started his career with Eric Musselman at Nevada. And then after Musselman left for Arkansas, after one year he transferred to Arizona, but then Sean Miller got fired. So he then transferred to Louisiana where he spent the last two seasons. And now he's ready for his big opportunity at Memphis. And what's really interesting about this recruitment is that, you know, Brown is a guy that Memphis knew was going to enter the portal for weeks. I can, I think I can say that, um, and Brown was really their big plan after a while uh, to get the big. And Memphis was really the only school that Brown was heavily considering. Um, 
Memphis was the destination in mind from the moment Brown entered the portal. Uh, the only thing that was really holding it back is that there were some academic eligibility issues going on there. Uh, he needed a few summer classes to officially become a graduate transfer. But uh, from what I understand, from uh, what I've heard, what I've been told by uh, guys that are talking to people super involved in this situation, um, you know, Memphis is offering those classes that uh, Brown needs to uh, graduate. Uh, a lot of conflicting uh, reports from various members of his camp. Some are saying that he's graduated. Some are saying that he hasn't. And, you know, in reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But either way, Memphis does not expect or anticipate Brown's academic stuff being an issue at all. Uh, from, what I, from what I understand, they expect him to be eligible immediately at the start of the season. And, yeah, Jordan Brown's going to be a fantastic, uh, you know, player for this Memphis team, far and away their biggest addition in the portal. I know they yep. got David Jones. I know they got Caleb Mills. I know that they got uh, Tiafael Leonard, who Memphis fans are really going to love this year. I can, I can tell you that right now. Uh, I think they're going to really like a lot of the guys, if not every player that have gotten in the portal so far. But Jordan Brown has been their biggest get yet. As of now, he does project as this team's best player. Uh, but, of course, mm. you know, DeAndre Williams, that whole situation still going on. Memphis feels pretty good about that as of now. And personally, I just think DeAndre has a great case to get that extra year of eligibility. Same. So, um, as of now, Memphis is working under the assumption that DeAndre is going to get that waiver that he's going to be eligible. So, I think you can uh, interpret Man, that. wouldn't that be you... cool? Wouldn't yeah. that be awesome? If yeah, and if Memphis has DeAndre Williams and Jordan Brown in the front court, that is far and away the best front court in the American, and one of the best in the entire country as well. And yep. when you include a guy like Javon Quinterly potentially in that lineup, it's uh, it's That's looking re- it's looking really really good. Memphis is heavily involved for Javon Quinterly, the guard from Alabama that I talked about earlier. Um, some other schools that are involved, you know, we got Miami, there's Auburn, uh, Michigan's been mentioned a little bit there too, but it's Memphis and Miami that are mainly in talks. Uh, Memphis being the heavy favorite, heavy favorite to land him at this point. Um, and if that happens, if Memphis is able to secure his commitment, then Memphis has their point guard. There's yep. no, there's no, that's the point guard right there. And you can trot out a lineup of Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, David Jones, uh, DeAndre Williams, if he's eligible and Jordan Brown, man. And if Memphis has that lineup, I don't care about Florida Atlantic. I don't, I don't care. Memphis should be the preseason favorite to win the American athletic conference. And if Memphis gets Quinterly, I still think they're a better team than Florida Atlantic. I think Florida Atlantic is a team that first off heavily benefited from playing in a really weak league last year. And then they were a team that got some pretty fluky victories, in my opinion, in the NCAA tournament. And the reality is that they wouldn't be getting a top five preseason ranking if they didn't make the final four. Just the truth. And we saw this exact Mm -hmm. same situation last year with North Carolina, where they go to the final four as a nine seed, bring everybody back from that team, essentially. And they, they blow it up. They, they stink the bed there. Yeah. Now, yeah. that's not going to happen to FAU because, first off, they're playing in a much worse league than that North Carolina team did last year. They're playing in the American Athletic Conference. 
So they're going to be really good no matter what happens. But I can see a scenario where Florida Atlantic really struggles in a tougher non-conference schedule because FAU, I think, is a real size deficiency problem. Uh, they play with a lineup that outside of Vladislav Golden, they don't have anybody over 6'4". And I think Memphis in particular, if they have the lineup of Williams and Joan, uh, Williams and Brown in the front court, then you know that presents a massive matchup problem there. And you know for Memphis and Florida Atlantic, I think Memphis will be the more talented team this year, uh, the lengthier team this year, the, the deeper team this year, the bigger team. And, I mean, this is not to knock Florida Atlantic. I still think they're going to be a really good college basketball team, basketball team, but, I mean, I don't know. I think Memphis is a bona fide top 15 team if they have everything that they have right now. And dare I say, I think they'd be a national championship contender too. I think uh, things mm. are looking really good for Memphis on that front. I think they're going to be a fantastic team. Mm. Well, if Quinterly can get landed, that would be amazing. Um, obviously, a lot of other things still up in the air, but man, Memphis yeah, has also, definitely improved. And it's yeah, been really yeah, cool to yeah. see. Yeah. Also, uh, I anticipate Malcolm Dandridge coming back at this point. Uh, he just doesn't have a ton of other options. Uh, Western Kentucky was there for a minute, but they chose another big over him. And St. Louis, that kind of fell through too for various reasons. So, as of now, I would expect Malcolm Dandridge back in Memphis as well. There you go. Well, Memphis looks poised for another good season. As a lot of people, every season, their best doubt, season yet. Penny Hardaway, Penny Hardaway proves them wrong. So I'm thinking it's going to be their best season yet under Penny Hardaway. I think this is going to be a second week of game at least. Mm. I know well, that's we'll lofty expectations, lofty goals, but I think they're going to. I think they're going to be that good. Well, I certainly believe you and I want I want to see that as well I hope that non-conference doesn't have to be an issue like it is pretty much every year we have high expectations let's hope we can get out of that unscathed I mean going to conference pretty confident Memphis crushed non-conference last year they went 10 and 3 it was really when they got some injuries and they hit a skid in conference play that's where things really start to went wrong go wrong there so as long as this team is able to avoid injury uh, they should be fine and there's obviously going to be a little bit of a learning curve there as well because, you know, it's a new team trying to gel together and whatnot. But this will be a veteran-filled lineup that Memphis is going to have, you know, hypothetically. Um, if they get Quinterly like they're supposed to, as of now they are, again, the heavy favorite there. Uh, Quinterly will be turning 25 years old pretty shortly here. Mills will be 22-23. Same thing with David Jones. DeAndre Williams, if he's eligible, he'll be 27 Jordan Brown will be like 23, 24. So, a lot of experience that you have there in that starting five. Exactly right. Well, let's move on to the NFL. Let's go to the AFC West, the best division in football. And I know that we said that last year. I don't think it's the best division in football this year. I think think it's stacked. I think it's stacked. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I think the – AFC East is better. I think the NFC East is better. Uh, uh, that's we don't we don't think know the a- that yet, I think though. I think the AFC North is better this year. Uh, Dude, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, it's so. Mm. I, I'm not a big fan of the AFC West overall. I, I am. I, I like the oh, NFC, well, but again, NFC West. So it might it might and be also a, Jake, huh? 
that's that's not really much of an introduction there, man. This is the best series that we have here on this podcast. This is like (laughs) one of our only yearly traditions. Breaking down every single NFL division. This is going to be it for the next, what, eight weeks now? Love it. If you're counting this one? Love it. Gotta love it, man. I love it, dude. This is this is definitely the most fun part of the podcast, in my opinion. Running down every single, basically every single NFL playoff team, like or any every single NFL team. Like, come on, it doesn't get better than this. Going through yeah, the depth yeah, charts, going through trades, going through offseason changes, free agency signings, all the different stuff. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Let's go ahead and start off. I think it'd be good to start off with the NFL Super Bowl champions. Let's go ahead and get to the Kansas City Chiefs, Roman. Let's hear score prediction. Let's hear all the things and your thoughts on Kansas City moving into the next year. Wow, I, I didn't know we were going to start on the Chiefs. I figured we'd be saving them for last, but we got to yeah, start uh, with the, Kansas the Super Bowl champs. Let's do it. Yeah, okay, Kansas. Uh, there's not much of a breakdown to be have. Uh, they're a fantastic uh, football team at all all points. They won the Super Bowl. They have the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, probably the best. Uh, one of the best coaches in the NFL, both right now and in history. Uh, one notable thing is that they brought back Matt Nagy as offensive coordinator, which is interesting. I'm glad to see Nagy back on that chief staff where he really flourished and helped uh, Alex Smith become really good all those years ago. Um, I don't have much to really break down with the Chiefs. Nothing really changed too much. Uh, they lost Juju. They lost Orlando Brown on offense, uh, so they got a bit worse with receivers. Uh, they lost Frank Clark, I think, as well. Yeah, but I think that's a I think that's about it. I think Kansas City is uh, going to be mostly the same this year, and why not? Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mahomes' contract is really going to be starting to kick in sooner rather than later, so perhaps they could run into more problems in the future because of that. But, yeah, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. One thing that I've done this year, that I didn't do last year is that I've gone ahead and ranked all 32 starters, <laughs> all 32 starting quarterbacks. So I'm going to give you my exact, uh, I guess, ranking of where I think each and every quarterback stands. Now, of course, there are a few situations where we don't quite know who's going to be the starter yet, like, you know, the Colts, but we'll just kind of roll with it as we go, I suppose. But there's no debate here of who's going to be starting a quarterback for the Chiefs. It is Patrick Mahomes, and he is obviously my quarterback. He is my QB one. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty obvious. Best quarterback in the NFL right now. Best quarterback of the in, in the past decade, probably as well. Two-time Super Bowl champion now. Been to the AFC Championship every year as a starter. Uh, there isn't much to say about Mahomes that hasn't been said already. So I think we'll move on. Isaiah Pacheco broke broke out as a sixth-round rookie last year. Jake, he yep. was really good. Maybe the best running back that the Chiefs have had in the Mahomes era already. Fantastic. I know Edwards Alaire broke out. Pretty no, you're right. His rookie season, but he, but, but, but he fell off. He, he fell off shortly after Pacheco. In the meantime, is just a really, really hard runner of the football. I just love the way that he plays. Really wanted to get him in fantasy, but I chose Gibbs <laughs> over him in the draft. Ooh. And then, then I, I tried to trade for him as well. Didn't really work. Isaiah Pacheco is a guy that I really, really like, and I think he's going to be highly productive for Kansas City this year, more so than he was last year, just because, you know, second-year backs. Typically, that's breakout. Of course, they can break out as rookies, but I think uh, when you really get into that second year, when you really have a, a feel for the NFL, 
speed. I think that's when most running backs really tend to go off there. And I think that's what we're going to see with Isaiah Pacheco this year. And he's got a fantastic offensive line to support him. Um, first off, Donovan Smith, who is going to be um, replacing um, Orlando Brown, along with Jawan Taylor on the right side. Two really solid options there. Now, the interior of this offensive line is it's, – it's incredible, Jake. I'll just tell you, it is amazing. Uh, you have Trey Smith, sixth-round rookie from Tennessee. Well, sixth-rounder from Tennessee, not a rookie. He's, this is like his third or fourth year in the league at this point. Really underrated player. Creed Humphrey, maybe the best center in the NFL right now. Drafted him in the second round. And Joe Tooney, uh, former Patriot, if I'm not mistaken. Really, really good at left guard. Uh, Austin Ryder is back in this offensive line rotation as well. He was gone for a few years, but now he's back. Lucas Niang's another interesting swing tackle option for him, if need be. So, yeah, Chiefs, low-key have one offensive lines in the NFL, and I don't think they get enough credit for that. It's really, really good. Um, receivers, it's not looking fantastic, to be honest. Marquez Valdez-Scandling, probably your best option there. If he can start catching the football more, he'll perhaps be a – a player of a higher ceiling, but that remains to be seen. Uh, Kadarius Toney traded for him last year from the Giants. Uh, couldn't exactly utilize him a ton the way they wanted to, but with uh, another year and the training camp and just getting more into the system, perhaps Tony can be more of a weapon for him. Sky Moore, I'm interested to see how they use him as well. And Justin Watson is there too. Rasheed Rice is the Rookie they just drafted, I think, from SMU, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. I could be wrong Could be wrong about right. that. But, yeah. Uh, receivers, I think some guy will break out here, but on paper at least, it's not looking amazing. So, I guess there is one flaw with this Chiefs team. But when you have Travis Kelsey, Doesn't matter. a lot of those concerns can be alleviated. In my opinion, the second best tight end in the NFL behind George Kittle, but he is the best receiver. <laughs> That's he crazy. He is you the best still receiving. think that? Yes. Oh, after a Super Bowl, too? Really? I think I think what George Kittle does for San Francisco is really, really vital to what they do but to they, succeed. But they still <laughs> got Debo, and they still got Ayuk. I, the, dude, what he does for this team, they had a six-round rookie and no does three they, wide receiver. Does Debo Samuel beat the crap out of edge rushers? I'm a bigger fan. I personally like George Kittle's game a bit more. I think he's a bit better after the catch. But Travis Kelsey is the most dynamic weapon at the tight end position. There's no doubt about that. Him and Mahomes are quite the duo. So, yeah, um, no. This offense, you have Jarek McKinnon and, of course, Edwards Alaire there as well. So, yeah, got to love everything about what this Chiefs offense has to offer Uh, defensively. Defensive line, George Karloftis, the second-year player from Purdue, Derek Nottie, one of the better defensive tackles in the league. Chris Jones, maybe the best defensive tackle in the league. And Charles Amenahu is the other, other defensive in there. Um, not a very deep group at the defensive line, but you, have, you do have a really, really solid front four, and that should be enough. Um, linebackers, you have Willie Gay and Nick Bolton as your starters. Uh, Leo Chanel, second-year player, I think from Boston College, who – a lot of people were high on in last year's draft. Drew Tranquil's another interesting player there. Um, moving over to the secondary corners, you have Jalen Watson, uh, Legarius Sneed, 
and Trent McDuffie. Um, I, I think those are all the notable guys there. Pretty solid group overall. And at safeties, Brian Cook and Justin Reed uh, handle duties over the top. Mike Edwards from Tampa Bay is also there. Mike Edwards was one of the higher-rated safeties in PFF last year. So that's a pretty underrated signing for the Chiefs. He'll provide some really good depth, be able to play all sorts of spots. So, yeah, really like this defense as well, led by Steve Spagnola. 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 One of my favorite defensive coordinators in the league. Really, really like what he does with that Chiefs defense on a year-to-year basis. So I'm a big fan of him. Big fan of what everything uh, this Kansas City team has to offer. Uh, I don't quite have them lighting the world on fire, though. Uh, at least not as much as uh, you would expect from a normal Chiefs team just because, you know, of a harder schedule. And, again, those deficiencies at the wide are going to hold them back a little bit. Have them finishing 12-5, and five, which is obviously good for first in the AFC West, going 4-2 and two in the division, and second overall in the AFC. Um, losses to the Chargers, the Broncos, Philadelphia, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. So a pretty solid five losses there, in my opinion. But, yeah, love what the Chiefs uh, team is offering this year, and they're going to be one of the top contenders to win the Super Bowl once again. Yeah, last year this team was 14-3, and and a lot of people had questions on who would this team be without Tyreek Hill. And I think those questions were answered big time when they went out and played better than they did the year before and won the chip. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What you got on them? This team this year. They lost. They lost. They lost. You do. Um, not really worried about that. I think Patrick Mahomes has shown that he can do what he can without a true breakout wide receivers. Now, now Juju was close to an 1,000 yard receiver last year. But I think, like, like you said, there are a couple guys there that I think are poised for a breakout. And even if they don't, I think they've got a couple 600, 700-yard wide receivers in that group. That can definitely get it done with Travis Kelsey leading the way there. I've got the Chiefs going 13-4, and um, losses to the Jets, Eagles. I've got one loss in there to the Raiders. I think the Raiders can be sneaky sometimes. And then I've got one loss to the Bengals there in Week 17. Um, same with Roman there, having the Bengals going in and beating them out on their home turf in Arrowhead. Um, but, yeah, man, overall, Roman walked through pretty much – Everything that I would have, it, it doesn't matter who you've got in the wide receiver spot as long as Kelsey's there. The one thing I am concerned about a little bit um, is the losing Orlando Brown, who went to the Bengals um, to, to guard the blind side of Joe Burrow. I think Orlando Brown's talent, losing him may hurt them a little bit at first, the blind side being prote- not being protected as well. Um, their, their replacement, Donovan Smith, if I'm not mistaken, was from the Buccaneers. Is that right? Yeah. Very yeah, good tackle Buccaneers. for the Buccaneers. Very good. He's very, he's very good, and he's a veteran guy, but he also let a lot of sacks go through this year, um, which I – Jake, you there? You know, having Tom Brady back there doesn't – he should put in pretty well. Um, but who knows if they'll have issues there on the left side. Um, but, yeah, man, overall, super pumped about this Chiefs team. Giving him one more loss than last year, but overall, I'm pretty confident. Um, uh, yeah, personally, first overall I'm, in the AFC West. Um, personally, I'm a Brown fan. I think he's a little bit overrated. I think the Bengals paid a bit too much to get him. 
but he is uh, technically still better than Donovan Smith, and Donovan Smith is a slight downgrade. But I don't, I don't think it'll be nearly as much as uh, some people are claiming there. I don't think it's much of a concern. Yeah. Here we go. Well, next team on the board is going to be the Denver Broncos. I'll start us out with this one. Denver, I felt really bad about last year because I was really high on them getting Russell Wilson. I was also high on Cortland Sutton. I thought that was going to be, man, one of the best wide receiver QB duos of last year, and that just did not pay off. And I think the big reason was coaching. Nathaniel Hackett, I think we can all agree, did not have control of that team in the locker room and even on the sidelines. We saw many times where they were just fighting on the sidelines. It was in the cameras. It was on the news. Like, this team was just complete shambles last season. And not only on top of that, but Tim Patrick got injured for the entire year. Jerry Judy was out for a couple weeks. Javante Williams went down. There, there was just a lot of last year. But this team's back. New coaching. coaching. I think a revamp Russell Wilson. You've got a healthy wide receiver room. Tim Patrick coming back. And I think that adding Samaj P. Ryan is also going to be huge. Having him and Javante Williams, um, run, or I guess leading the backfield. I think the reason I'm so high on Samaj is running backs coming off of the year where they tear their ACL, they lose a lot of that natural cut that they came in with. They lose a lot of the confidence. They lose a lot of that stuff that on the outside can cut you upfield, but even inside, the cuts that can get you to the outside, they lose a lot of that drive and they don't truly get that back until their second season. I think Samaj P. Ryan is really going to help Javante sort of kind of ooze back into this lineup and not just jump in right back immediately because Javante has been out since week four of last season. I mean, he's been out for a long time. So, I mean, when you look at this realistically, he should be fine by now, but he's taken a little bit longer on recovery than they thought he would. So I think having Samaj back there is going to take a little bit of the load off of him. But again, adding Sean Payton to this group, I think that is going to do them wonders, going to do wonders for the Broncos. Having a guy that not only can be a leader in the locker room, but he's also got a pretty good playbook. I mean, Drew Brees is one of the best players of all time in the quarterback position from a statistical perspective. So you've got to know that this is going to do wonders for them. Greg Dolchich is a solid tight end option. He's still young. Albert O is still there. So you've got two guys that can realistically get it done. And then this defense, this defense, I think that – this was the most solid part of their team last year. They they really bailed out the Broncos a lot in a lot of ways last year, kind of begging and asking for the offense to step up. They're, they were one of the best defenses in football last year from that perspective, and I think it really kind of fizzled out near the end of the year because they were, like, exhausted. <laughs> they were exhausted, and they were still waiting, still waiting, still waiting but it never got to them. They've got guys like Patrick Sertan back there, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, a really, really solid secondary. Then also Frank Clark down there um, at the linebacker position. So this is a really solid team, I think, from top to bottom. But just the question is, can coaching, can Russell Wilson, can health, can all that be a factor? And can you get the good side of everything? Not really sure, but I've got the Broncos finishing at, I believe – Oh, I had it pulled up. Let me let me pull it up. I think it was like nine and eight. So they finished five and twelve last season. Um, not a solid record, especially for a team that I actually had finishing twelve and five, which is really really embarrassing on my part um, to see them finish so low. But yeah, I've got them finishing nine and eight this year, improving by four games. So putting a lot of hope in Russell Wilson, Corlin Sutton, and Sean Payton this year to get it done and improve this team a little bit. Well, uh, Frank Clark is actually an, an edge rusher, not a linebacker. 
Oh, but my bad, my bad. Okay. Your, uh, your point is uh, remains the same regardless. Well, yeah, uh, Denver, probably the biggest laughing stock in the entire league last year considering how much hype yep. they had coming in with Russell Wilson and this revamped team all in all. But like you said, Nathaniel Hackett proved to be a complete clown as a head coach. Uh, nobody in the locker room took him seriously. And he was bad schematically as well. His offensive play calling was very ingenious overall. Um, and, I mean, that the that defense had to bail Denver out a lot of the time. And often, often more, more often than not, they were not successful in doing so because Denver was a very, very bad group. But with Sean Payton in there, I imagine that a lot of those issues and problems will be alleviated. Hopefully that prediction comes to fruition because you don't want to see Russell Wilson suck so badly to end his career, arguably the greatest Seattle Seahawk of all time, one of the best players in the NFL in the 2010s. So it's uh, very, very interesting to see what happens from here for him. Um, Going to Russell Wilson, he's obviously the starting quarterback of this team. Jarrett Stidham will be backing him up. Ben DiNucci, remember him? He's the fourth string. How about that? He's still in the NFL. <laughs> uh, for, for Russell, but for Russell Wilson, I have him as my QB 16 heading into the year. Uh, I think that's uh, very, very fair considering the drop that he had last year. But I do expect Sean Payton and his QB guruness to – come in and fix some of those issues I think Russell Wilson should be fine probably won't get back to the let Russ cook days but he should be a lot more efficient and better overall than he was last year um this running game uh, with Javante Williams it's in the top half of the league if it's not it's one of the worst uh running games in the entire NFL after Williams went down couldn't really find anybody to replace that production so Hopefully, he's able to stay healthy this time around. I guess Samaj P. Ryan, while he's a good player, receiving back, he isn't quite the three-down, you know, guy that you really need to, you know, work the chains and, you know, control the clock and all that because that's what Denver's going to be looking to do. They're going to be looking to keep teams off the field and control the clock and stay on and whatnot, and you need Javante Williams to pull off that kind of strategy. So, hopefully, he's able to stay healthy this time around. Michael Burton will be playing fullback for him, one of the more notable players at the fullback position these days. So I feel like he does at least deserve a mention. And now for this receiving core, I'm very perplexed by it overall. Tim Patrick coming back from injury, which should help. Um, really expected either Sutton or Judy to break out of their shell last year and uh, become that true wide receiver one. Neither of them were able to do it. Judy, of course, dealing with injury, like you said, last year. Really, really big fan of him and his route running and his prowess was my number one receiver coming out of Alabama when he was coming out of the draft. And Cortland Sutton was someone who was super hyped up in that 2018 class that had Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore and Anthony Miller. And he hasn't quite lived up to expectations as of now, but he has plenty of time to fix that. So two guys with all the talent in the world, but we'll see if – Either of them are able to break out again what someone like Sean Payton was able to do with Michael Thomas. Maybe that will help. Uh, by the way, this coaching staff, Joe Lombardi and Vance Joseph, will be the coordinators here. Lombardi for the offense and Vance Joseph for the defense. 
Vance Joseph, of course, was the head coach of the Denver Broncos not too long ago, and he completely failed. So it's very interesting to see him return to Denver as a defensive <laughs> coordinator. Um, going back to these receivers, a few interesting names here that I think people will be familiar with. First off, Marquez Calloway, former New Orleans Saint and Tennessee yep. Volunteer. Um, you have K.J. Hamler from Penn State. And remember this thing, Lil Jordan Humphrey? He's on this team too. How about that? How about that? Uh, there you go. Often loaded room start, for being honest. Yeah, loaded room. Not exactly loaded, but a lot of depth and talent. Wouldn't call it loaded because there's no true sure. one guy there. But, you know, plenty of potential. Um, going to the offensive line, Garrett Bowles, one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL uh, when he was drafted by the Broncos in the first round a few years back. Didn't exactly live up to expectations, but he has since uh, dramatically improved and has become one of the better tackles in the NFL. Super good guy to uh, protect Russell Wilson's blind side. Ben Powers, the former Baltimore Raven, a solid player to guard. Barry, he's going to be playing center for this team. Quinn Miners, who was uh, someone I liked when he was drafted a few years ago. He's now their starting guard. And Mike McGlinchey, former right tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Big fan of him as well. And I like his addition. So Denver's going to be looking good at those two tackle spots. And uh, Greg Dolchich, he's fine, I guess. I drafted him in fantasy as my backup tight end. And that's all <laughs> he really is to really means to me this year. But I'm sure, he, again, he's fine. Chris Manhurts is there too. Adam Troutman and uh, Albert Okwebenom. Albert O, as most people like to say. Uh, I'm yep. very interested to don't see who even, breaks down among that group. His name. <laughs> I, I just did. It was very easy. His, his... <laughs> I don't like it. It's too complicated. <laughs> Okwebenom. I don't know. Oak, Pretty easy. Okwebenom. But there's a G in there. Okwebenom. Okwebenom. The G, the G is silent, Jacob. <laughs> Okwebenom. Right. Oh, it's weird. All right, going to the defense, uh, defensive line consists of Zach Allen, DJ Jones, and uh, Matt Hennickson. Um, not a very exciting group there, but it is alleviated by uh, Baron Browning, Frank Clark, and Randy Gregory coming off of the edge. Your linebackers are Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton. Uh, the secondary is the big part of this defense, though. You have uh, Patrick Sertan, of course, one of the best corners in the NFL. The other side, uh, Damari Mathis. And Kawan Williams will be playing in the nickelback and you know the slot role, whatever you want to say. Good player there. Your safeties are Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, maybe the best safety duo in the league. Really, really solid, uh, you know, again, duo there up top. So I like where this Denver team is at. I think Sean Payton is going to help them dramatically. Um, overall, I have them finishing at 10 and 7, 3 there you and 3 go. in the division. And that is good for uh, eighth overall in the AFC. So just missing out on the playoffs, unfortunately. But I think it's going to be much more fun to watch the Denver Broncos play football this year uh, than it was last year. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think we all want to see that. See a Denver team that actually looks like it's, it wants to play a little bit. So uh, let me look at – I had uh, my division record for them. My division record for them is two and four, actually. Um, so yeah, we'll get into more of that of, of why I think that is later. Um, but yeah, pretty similar records thus far for both teams. Let's move on now to the chargers. I think this team was 
looking at them as be a little bit better than they were. Um, to kind oh, of yeah. I, I have the Broncos up and, and see Justin Herbert really mold into who he was. Did I, did I mention that uh, I had the Broncos finish? Did I mention that I had the char- the Broncos finishing, finishing second in, finishing second in the division that I have? Did I mention that? That's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, I have Denver uh, finishing second yeah. in the division. Mm. Well, so, yeah, Chiefs I first, hear Denver that. second. Okay. All right. And then we got the Let's Chargers. Talk about the Chargers then, right? Woo. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, I kind of want to hear your reasoning on why exactly, but you feel that way. So before you go into the roster depth chart, kind of tell me exactly what you're feeling with the Chargers. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling very good about the Chargers. If I'm being honest, I think they're very poorly coached. They have a fantastic quarterback, but I just think it's a very poorly run organization, very poorly run team. It has a bunch of talent, but it's a uh, it's talent that's shown that uh, has not exactly been able to get it done. This is a team that we all thought was going to be first in the division last year, and uh, they fell very. And at the very least, you could have hoped that they could have competed for the with the Chiefs for the title, but they didn't. Again, did not even get close. Finished nine and eight, and blew a playoff game to a Jacksonville team that is was really good, but the Chargers probably should have beaten them. But Brandon Staley is dumb. So he decided to play Mike Williams in a meaningless week 18 game against the bad Denver Broncos team in which Mike Williams just so happened to get hurt. Uh, Therefore he missed the playoff game and the Chargers probably would have won it had he played. So uh, I just don't exactly trust the Chargers Mm -hmm. to get, get this done. Uh, Brandon Staley, again, the head coach here should have been fired. He's not, he's still here. Chargers fans have to deal with it. I still have to talk about him, unfortunately. Uh, they got Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator, though, which is definitely an upgrade for that coaching staff. Kellen, Kellen Moore has been a, uh, a fantastic offensive coordinator in Dallas over the last couple of seasons. So adding him to the room with Herbert and these receivers and this offensive line and whatnot should be uh, really, really exciting. Uh, let's, let's talk about Justin Herbert because he is – the franchise player, obviously, the most notable part of this football team. I have him as my uh, QB5 heading into the year. I wanted to put him a bit higher than that, but unfortunately I uh, I just couldn't. Not much to say about Justin Herbert other than uh, he was less of a a statistical standout last year, but that was mostly due to the fact that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams both missed significant portions of the season with injuries. But more importantly, Rashawn Slater was out for the entire season. Yep. Slater was one of the best tackles in the NFL as a rookie two seasons ago. And he got hurt towards ACL, and I think, in either the year. So Justin Herbert's blind spot was backed up by a nobody for the entire year. So, yeah, don't fault him for throwing a few more interceptions, most of which came off of his receiver's hands. Like, it's never Herbert's fault, ever. And yet people want to flack him for that. When it's literally never his fault. That's crazy. But, yeah, Justin Herbert, not much to say that hasn't been said already. Kind of like Mahomes, great quarterback. Yeah. And should continue to be great this year. Austin Eckler, everyone's fantasy darling, my fantasy darling, once again. Picked him first overall for a very good reason. Uh, In reality, he's a really, really good receiving back but not exactly 
your ideal guy on a down-to-down basis, but Josh Kelly is more of your power back there, and hopefully he'll continue to fill in that role. But this Chargers run game is still uh, a bit iffy, in my opinion. Um, going to the receivers, a pretty good room on paper, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but I just don't think Quentin Johnson's a good fit here. I would have gone Jordan Addison if I were them. I think he's a much better fit in what they want to do. But they decided to go with Quentin Johnston, who is basically a worse version of Mike Williams right now. Again, I don't understand it, but that's what they went with. He'll be good for them. He'll do what he can, but you have two vertical receivers and only one true route runner right now because Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer aren't exactly guys you can rely on to fill in that role other than Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, first off, he's not exactly what he once was. And second off, he's extremely injury prone. So who exactly do you have to be your number one slot receiver, your number one route running guy if he goes down again? You have no one as of now, and I think that's really concerning. Um, Going to the offensive line, Rashawn Slater, once again, he's a fantastic football player. Just love everything about his game. Uh, Zion Johnson was another guy that I was a big fan of coming out of the draft. He's a second-year guy, should be really good. Corey Lindsley is one of the best centers in the NFL. But this right side of the line is where it really, really gets concerning. You have Jamari Sawyer and Trey Pipkins at tackle and well, guard and tackle, respectively. Just not very very good uh, talent there, both replacement-level starters. So the right side of the offensive line, once again, is uh, very, very uh, concerning. As of now, if you're a Chargers fan, uh, the tight end group consists of Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, and Trey McKitty. It's, it's all right. It's decent. It'll, it'll do the job. So Chargers offense, it's looking pretty good, but – We'll see what happens with them, especially with those receivers in that situation. Uh, defensively, it's just not very good. This defensive line is not amazing. You have Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, and Austin Johnson. Joseph Day was a really good signing last year, but it didn't exactly uh, make too much of a difference when the rest of his running mates don't exactly have a bunch of talent. Um, off the edge, it's looking great. You have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa two of the top ten edge rushers in the league. Joey Bosa is the top five edge rusher in the league probably. But when you don't have a good defensive line that can eat up blocks and support you, at the meantime, uh, you're still going to have problems getting to the quarterback. And Joey Bosa, again, is a guy that is shown to have his struggles with injury. Are those going to be fixed up this year? Probably not. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Your linebackers are Kenneth Murray, the first-round rookie from Oklahoma that still has yet to really break out. And Eric Kendricks, who got signed over from the Vikings, his first year outside of Minnesota, starting to regress a little bit. We'll see if he has another good year left in him. Uh, Nick Neiman is another option there for depth. Uh, your secondary consists of Asante Samuel Jr., Michael Davis, and uh, just Sir Taylor at your corners. And, of course, um, was a really big signing last year, but he was terrible. He was bad. Ended up getting benched at certain points of the year. That's how bad he was. So we'll see if he's able to bounce back as well. But love Asante Samuel. I think he's a fantastic player and should be their number one corner this year. But the safeties, you have uh, Olai Gilman and JT Woods as your, you know, the, the free safeties there. Neither of them are super amazing. But when you have Derwin James, doesn't matter. He's a guy that can fill in all sorts of roles. Strong yep. safety, free safety, slot corner, in-the-box linebacker. Derwin James is an incredible, incredible defensive talent. 
one of the best defensive players in the entire NFL. And if you're talking about strong safeties, Derwin James is far and away the best guy in the league. And you just love that you have him on your football team here. But overall, there are just too many defensive deficiencies with this Chargers team for me to be super confident in them. I wasn't quite expecting to be as low on them as I am, as it turns out, when I was going through their schedule. That's how I predict these records, by the way. I go through every single game on their schedule and just pick it. And, of course, I make adjustments if I feel like their record is too high or too low. But for the most part, I just try to stay true to those predictions. That's what I did with the Chargers here. And at the end, I had them going 9-8, and eight, which is good for third in the AFC West, 3-3 three and three in the division. And that is obviously uh, not good enough to make the playoffs. I have them finishing 10th in the conference. So a very disappointing year for the Chargers overall that hopefully should result in Brandon Staley getting fired. Hmm. Yeah, I have them finishing 10-7. and seven. Um, Actually, the exact same record they finished with last year. And, again, I think that there are a lot of issues that they have with injury. And I think that every single year. I mean, you talk about Justin Herbert and his problems throwing the ball. They're not his issues. A lot of them are dropped interceptions, and he didn't have Rashawn Slater. That's arguably one of the most important positions on the field is that left tackle spot. And we don't the have best, somebody the most important position. The most position, the most oh. important position on the field, other than quarterback. There you go. So yeah, the one one of the most important positions right there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a tough spot to be in for Justin Herbert, who was destined for a breakout season. You know, like a not a breakout, but like a breakout of a breakout, like to to step into that top three mold. Um, Keenan Allen hurt. Mike Williams hurt. Yeah, Quentin Johnson, who we you kind of talked about from TCU, who has that similar play style as Mike Williams. We'll see if that pays off having two slimmer wide receivers, but it, it is hard to see that perspective. Um, Gerald Everett is solid. He had he had some good games last year. Um, he started off the year hot, but then kind of fizzled out and became just sort of that average tight end. Um, so we'll see what we got there. But I really, really like this defense, and I, I know you're not you're not super high on him, but I think they're a little bit. Of- Jackson, while he did have some bad games last year. He still had to get settled in a little bit. Derwin James is just a dog. Like it doesn't matter who you've got in his safety. Like Derwin James is going to take care of it. So I'm not super worried about him. Asante Samuel is also really good. Kenneth Murray, I think he's still got the potential. I think he he develops into a solid guy this year. Not one that you're just is just eye popping, but he's like okay, like he can hold he can hold down the fort. He can hold down the fort there. Um, Joey Bosa obviously as well. So I really think this team is really live or die off injuries, which is a, especially with not great coaching. Um, on so, so we'll see what happens. I think 10 and seven is a solid record for them this year because injuries are a big deal. I think 10, a little bit lower than 10 and seven is a solid record, but I think if they don't have injuries, at least a lot of them, I think 12 and five would be a solid record. So I'm kind of like right down the middle with them. Not super high, not super low. Just trying to give them a little bit of the middle of the stick here. Um, so, yeah, I really like this team. Austin Eckler, obviously, is a man, such a good, reliable guy on offense. And despite his play style, he's been able to stay healthy for most of the, most of the season. And I really like it. And you can use him for offense in the pass catching game, but also in the running game. Um, so, yeah, I really hope that they can stay healthy this year. Last team on the board is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders, both teams. that I, I think we – you did not say your exact spot for the Chargers. 
but I'll assume we both uh, have them last. Give us I, your rundown I, for man this Raiders team who does not have Derek Carr this year. I think I did say the Chargers were going to finish third. I think I did say that. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah third in the division. Both got them so. finishing at the at the last spot. So yeah, they got Jimmy G this year instead of Derek Carr. What are your initial thoughts about that? About having Derek Carr not in Las Vegas this year? I mean, if you want to say it was time for them to move on, I suppose there's no argument there. I mean, it just seemed like it was a it was a train that led to nowhere, really. Derek Carr was ready to go out and be in a more winning situation. The Raiders wanted to move on and find a new quarterback. But I think it was it's really weird that they think that new quarterback is Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I just think that's a very, very flawed strategy on the part of this front office. Not a big fan of it. Uh, I would have personally just waited out, tried to get a younger guy, maybe trade up in the draft or may, maybe even wait till next year and just suck this year so you couldn't get Caleb Williams. But they didn't opt to do that. It went, went for Jimmy G, paid him like three years, $67 million. Uh, it's going to be a very wasted three seasons. Uh, there's a chance that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't even playing for the majority of it. Um, this coaching staff is – not great at all. You have Josh McDaniels, Mick Lombardi, and Patrick Graham as defensive coordinator. He's all right, but I think the offensive coaching here is uh, not good at all. Josh McDaniels has just shown to not be a good head coach. Uh, he failed in Denver. Now he's failing in Las Vegas, and I expect the Raiders to uh, fire him as soon as they physically, physically can. Who knows when that'll be because the Raiders are in a real uh, tough spot with his contract. But uh, they'll have to make do with him for the time being. Um, again, moving over to Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback for this team, have him as my uh, QB 20 heading into the year. Uh, seems about right. He's a guy that is just mid, honestly, and is also someone that has uh, struggled heavily with injury a lot of the time. Yes. The majority of the season last year, uh, tore an ACL three or four years back as well. Just a guy that can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field. So, hopefully he doesn't run into those same issues this year. But, unfortunately, history has a has a way of repeating itself there. Um, Josh Jacobs is incredible, amazing. And I'm glad that he's back in Las Vegas this year because they badly. And he should be one of the best running backs in the NFL this year, just like he was last year and the year before that, year before that. So there's not much to say with him that hasn't been said already. Fantastic three down back, probably the best running back in the AFC, in my opinion, uh, AFC West, excuse me. He's up there in the AFC, but best running back in, the, in this division by far in my eyes. Um, Amir Abdullah is another interesting uh, back that the Raiders have. More of a receiving back option, though, someone that can come in on third down and catch the ball if need be. Um, speaking of catching the ball, Receivers, uh, Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in the NFL. I don't think he's wide receiver one anymore. I think the honor goes to Justin Jefferson. But Devontae Adams is still fantastic. I don't think he wants to be in Las Vegas anymore, if I'm being honest. He's there because he wanted to be with Derek Carr, but Derek Carr's not there anymore. So I think Devontae Adams will be looking to get out as soon as humanly possible. But he's stuck there for the time being. And He'll make do and have another fantastic season in the process. Uh, Jacoby Myers is a free agent pickup from the Patriots. Uh, was really, really 
inconsistent for New England, and I imagine he'll be that for the Raiders as well. Super good, honestly, when he's on, but just isn't consistent enough to be a true high-level option. Uh, Hunter Hunter Renfro is a really good option in the slot, a guy that's going to be good for a a good amount of receptions every single game, someone that's going to be reliable, will almost never drop the ball, going to be someone that's going to produce at a pretty decent level. Keelan Cole, the former Jaguar and the former Jet, is in there as well. Philip Corsett, DeAndre Carter, a few notable names in this receiver room. But other than Adams, nothing too remarkable. Um, going to the offensive line, Colton Miller is someone that I was not a big fan of coming out of the draft at UCLA. But he's really proved me wrong. He's become a really, really solid player overall. A good option at left tackle. Former Memphis Tiger, Dylan Parham. He's going to start at left guard for this team. Um, I think it will flourish in that opportunity now that he's playing in more of his natural position at that guard spot. I think he'll be a good player for him. Uh, Andre James at center, Alex Bars at right guard, and Jermaine Alemanor at right tackle. You notice you don't really know most of those names. You don't really need to. It's all great. Very much a rebuilding unit. Uh, Natane Mutai is also a, a good depth player there though as well. I wouldn't surprise to see him get a, wouldn't be surprised to see him get a, a few starts at some point this year. Um, tight end Austin Hooper coming in from Tennessee, former Falcon as well, and former Cleveland Brown, former you know just a solid player. He'll he'll do Austin Hooper things. He'll he'll be good, I guess. Michael Mayer, the rookie from Notre Dame, he'll get some solid reps in as well. OJ Howard who just can't stay healthy. Kind of a bust, to be honest with you. But he's a good player, I guess, when he's on the field. Um, defensively, Max Crosby continues to be incredibly underrated. Not enough people are giving him credit for what he does, but he's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Just fantastic. Uh, Jerry Tillery and uh, Blau Nichols make up the rest of the defensive line there, as well as Chandler Jones coming off of the edge. Chandler Jones was super disappointing last year. He has to bounce back this year if he wants to be worth that contract. And if not, Tyree Wilson will be right there, the rookie from Texas Tech, to take his spot. It will happen if Chandler Jones does not step up. And, of course, Tyree Wilson, sixth overall pick, so he'll get some reps in anyway. So hopefully this pass rush will be a bit more upgraded this year than last year. Uh, Linebackers, you have Roberts Villain and Divine Diablo. Kind of your gritty – football playing type of guys, you know, he's, they're going to make tackles and they're not going to make many mistakes, but neither of them are super talented overall. They're just kind of blue collared, hard nosed players that are going to do their job. And I guess that kind of fits the Raider mold in a way, but neither have particularly fantastic upside. Um, corners. This is a mess, man. Duke Shelley, Nate Hobbs, uh, Brandon Faison's another notable player here. Um, yeah, this is a, this this is one of the worst secondaries in the league. Safeties is not much better. Uh, Trayvon Merrig and Marcus Epps at safety. Yeah, it, it, yeah, this defense is not very good at all. Offense is not very good at all. The coaching's bad. Uh, nothing's really looking all that good for Las Vegas right now. Um, but I think they'll be mediocre enough. I think the players that they have on this team will – prevent them from complete humiliation. So 
I have them finishing 6-11, and 11, which is good, obviously, for last in the AFC West and 13th overall in the conference. I have them going 2-4 and four in the division. Um, not much to say on the Raiders, to be honest. They're going to be a bad team this year, and they'll end up with another top-ten pick, probably. Like, I like the Raiders. I like Devontae Adams. I like Josh Jacobs. You know, but I still got them finished 7-10. and 10. And As you mentioned, they got the coaching issues, but Jimmy G is not that great of a replacement for Derek Carr. He's just not, and he can't stay on the field like you want him to. Josh Jacobs, man, what a season last year. Congratulations, but that is your ceiling. You aren't hitting that ever again. It's not going to happen. So congratulations, Jacobs, on a great year. And maybe he repeats and gets close to it, but he's not putting up those numbers. Devontae Adams has a little bit more help with Jacoby Myers also there. Hunter Renfro is there as well. I'm kind of really interested to see who takes that step up. Is it going to be Renfro taking wide receiver two or is it going to be Myers? I think both of them have shown flashes of wide receiver two potential. More Renfro um, than Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers really, his ceiling has been like not that great. Like his ceiling's been mid. Um, So I'm kind of confused on exactly what we're going to see out of him. Um, Austin Hooper's like, okay, you know, he's there. Max Crosby on the defensive side. You've already talked about all these guys, I assume. Crosby, Chandler Jones, really excited about those guys. Um, but, yeah, good good team. Just I'm not not sold on them. I don't think that while may, they may have a decent offensive roster, not everybody can be good, especially in this division. A lot of head-to-head matchups that I don't feel confident they can take away. So, I like I think the they go to, I think they go but, two and four in the division. Let me see what I had. Um, I also had them two and four in the division. So, all right, we are pretty much even on all of our predictions today. Just in general, yeah. I had their yeah. losses to the Chargers and the Chiefs. So, yeah. or yeah, Chargers Chiefs. They beat the Chargers one time, and um, who else? Honestly, I don't know. Oh, I had them beating the Chiefs one time just to just to see. So I, I think no. they maybe can sneak away a win with the offense. I I had them beating the Raiders and the Chargers. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs or the Broncos. I, I, I I'm, excuse me. Yeah, the the Broncos and the Chargers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't they know, can I beat. Like the, that one in there. I don't think Las Vegas can beat the Chiefs. They got blown yeah. out twice last year. <laughs> Well, actually, yeah, I think we'll, they we'll lost the first one. I think they lost the first one close, if I'm not mistaken, last year. But they've been blown up oh, by them multiple right. times. They did. They did. They but were they, up the whole game. That's what happened. Yeah, but they've been blown up by them like and then lost. four times in the last three years. So I mean, I, I doubt they beat them, especially yeah. without Carr. But how's your week, man? Oh wait, tell, well, tell me about how your week was last two weeks. Give me an update. Yeah. yeah. First off, uh, to recap, I have the. Chiefs finishing first in the West at 12 and 5. The Broncos second at 10 and 7. The Chargers third at 9 and 8. And the Raiders finishing last at 6 and 11. We'll be back with more division previews next week with Brent's Seattle Seahawks and the rest of the NFC West. But week recap uh, last week, I've been there invested. You go. My, my, I'll or, just ahead say mine. Mine are pretty similar. Oh. Are oh, you gonna do yeah, do your recap? I guess. Sorry, y'all. It's it's a bit weird with two people oh, okay. as opposed to three. Yeah, mine are pretty similar. Right, oh, we're used yeah. to flowing off each other. Pretty yeah. pretty simple. 
Um, but yeah, I think we also got a little bit of delay here going on. Um, Kansas City, 13 and four, first in the AFC West. Then I got Chargers, 10 and seven. Broncos, nine and eight. And then Raiders, seven and 10. Not a bad division overall. Pretty, pretty solid for the worst team to have seven wins. But yeah, Roman, just tell us about your week and um, how the beach was. Yeah. So uh, over the last week, I've uh, been in Destin where we went to the beach, we went to the, we went to the pool, we did all the uh, Florida things. A uh, few concerns, though, with the rip currents and all the other stuff that was going on. I think there, I think there was like a double red flag one day and a red flag another day, but it was pretty chill besides that. No one got into any uh, trouble out in the water, luckily. I know a lot of people have over the last couple of weeks, and I give my prayers, thoughts, and condolences to anyone that's dealing with that right now. Maybe a, a death from that situation. We obviously know that Ryan Mallett, former Arkansas quarterback and former NFL quarterback, with uh, last play for the Ravens in 2015, um, you know he, he he actually died in a rip current last week. So yeah, it's a lot of a lot of tragedy going on with that. And hope and luckily we were not involved in that at all. Um, but yeah, we, we also did some other stuff. We uh, rode go karts. We went mini golfing. Went to the arcade. Arcade to a few different places as well. Wow. Um, it's been a really really solid vacation. Um, still been writing a couple of things for the blueprint during that time because there's just too much going on right now. There's just so much stuff that's happening with the Tigers, like yep. we talked about, like we talked about earlier, and. Yeah, it's, a, it's all really exciting stuff. But I'm excited to get back into Memphis and kind of carry on with business as usual. We luckily were able to avoid the big storm that came through on Sunday night, last Sunday night, uh, because we were in Huntsville, Alabama at that time. Um, knew a lot of people that were affected in terms of power outages and whatnot. And some people are still dealing with them right now, unfortunately. MLGW is just – they're just not on top of their game, man. They got to get on it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, What's that new? happened. So, prayers out to all y'all back in Memphis that are still, still without power. Hopefully that gets fixed sooner rather than later. Uh, as far as I know, we currently have power. We had it, and then it went off, and I, I think we now have it again. But – who knows what will await us uh, tomorrow afternoon when we get back into town. Still, I mean, we had a uh, storm again today. We had some scattered showers. Um, power was out in Arlington. I was driving back from the fireworks. Um, they were going to happen at Buckhead, but those got canceled because of all the rain and the, the lightning and stuff. Um, but, yeah, there's power out again in Arlington. A lot of the businesses in that main square are out. Um, so, yeah, we'll see ultimately what happens there. We're all good here at the Stoop household. Um, yeah, just got back from the beach, um, as that can explain for a little bit of the uh, delay we had. <laughs> My eyes are getting tired, man. It's been a long week. Still recovering um, from, man, just at it. The screaming, the yelling, the fun, the tournaments, the athletic, I guess, endurance. Um, but also just all the amazing things that God did. It was a good week, but definitely still recovering a little bit over here. Um, and then, yeah, week before that was VBS. So we've been really, really gunning it over here. I'm looking forward to a more chill July. Um, so we'll see what happens. But 
yeah, man, it's been super fun. Um, Tacoma camped um, over the last week. Basically, we have, like, different challenges. So, me and Brent took home the basketball tournament championship out of 370 people. 370 people. So, that's fun. Um, and then we took home the lip sync battle championship as well, which led for a pretty fun celebration. Uh, in the world, Brent actually did not dance. He was hosting the event um, like he did last year. He chickened out. He did. He chickened out. He didn't want to dance. Uh, but you know, The host has got to dance. Come on now. The host I has know. to dance. You're the I, host. I know. But I, I got to dance, which was fun. Um, I enjoy it. Kind of like a one-time wonder kind of thing. You know, get in and get out. <laughs> um, so that was pretty fun. Uh, ultimately, we took the camp crown. Um, so yeah, it was a great, great week overall, overall, but still a little bit. But yeah. This was great, honestly. I'm glad to do these division previews again. Can't wait for football season, honestly. NFL coming fast and furious, and we're week or only one more month yeah. till uh, football is in existence, which I cannot wait for. College football and NFL, it's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I assume we're gonna be doing another one of those podcasts where we preview every single FBS uh, conference. That's what we did last year, and was no. pretty fun. Now, that would be oh, hype. I would love to do that. Well, we did it last year, so I'm sure it's pretty feasible to do it again this year. But either way, Brent comes back. Look for that to be our most popular episode because uh, whenever that happens, we just skyrocket. So, um, yeah, as long as we title it Brent's Back, then, yeah, so look forward for a banger of an episode. But, yeah, Rome, you I got hope Brent's else? Back. I hope Brent's back next week. We're talking about the Seahawks, NFC West. Go. He better we be back next week. Brent's Back, part two. <laughs> He can't miss his own team. He can't do that. Not going to happen. I cannot wait for the NFC South, man. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm not. The division sucks. Hey, I get to say the Falcons are going to be in the playoffs, though, baby. <laughs> now that's going to be fun. Oh, what a spoiler. You're, spo- you're spoiling <laughs> it already. <laughs> So that's gonna be fun. Any more thoughts, man? Before we close out? Uh, no, I know. I, th- I think we're good here. There we go. Well, the entire episode. If you do not already, go and follow the Men Hoodies Instagram at men.in.hoodies on that platform. Out more of Roman's articles on the Tiger Blueprint. Man's been killing it over there. But yeah, man, thank you for listening to the Men Hoodies podcast. We will see you next week for an NFC West breakdown and predictions. Hopefully, a Damian Lillard. Um, or spot where he can settle. Um, but yeah, everything for all. Until then, we will see you next time. I'm Jake Stoop signing off. You stole my line. Wait, I'm <laughs> signing out. Yeah, there you go. He didn't Love steal this. it. He didn't steal it. Peace, <laughs> y'all.